The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. The great rate retreat. Yields on 10-year treasuries down a whopping 50 basis points from the highs hit at just the start of last week. And you won't believe the impact that's having on a couple of key sectors. Should you buy into those rallies? Plus, shining bright. Gold miner stocks in rally mode today as the precious metal climbing back towards $2,000. So as underperforming the uh, broader, broader markets all year, are these shares finally ready to play catch up? And later, this stock soaring to nearly two-year highs in the back of earnings. And one of our traders says it's one of the best reports they've ever seen. We'll tell you what it is and find out if you should roll the dice on this oh, trade. I know where this is going. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ <laughs> on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Guy Adami, and Julie Beale. We start off with the big Friday rally on the street as a Goldilocks jobs report sent stocks rocketing higher. The Dow popping 222 points, S&P 500 adding nearly 1%, and the Nasdaq leading the group up nearly 1.4%, all three major averages posting their best week of the year. Smaller than expected gain in payrolls increased hopes that the Fed is done raising rates, and that sent yields tumbling, the 10-year briefly falling below 4.5% for the first time since September. It was above 5% just two weeks ago. And take a look at the moves that sparked some of the sectors most tied to yields. Home builders jumping 11% since Monday, best week in a year. Both the KBE and regional bank ETF seeing their biggest gain in three years, and the IYR real estate ETF was up nearly 9%, its best run since 2020, June 2020. So is now the time to buy into this rate-sensitive rally? Guy, what do you say? Unbelievable. I mean, listen, no way I saw this coming. On Monday, we, I think Tyler was here. Somebody who was here on Monday? Tyler? Why are you nodding your head at me? He's going to feel so we good that you forgot about I don't remember about. what I had for breakfast. No, Guy was here. I'm sorry. Alone, I apologize. I don't know. But we had a whole conversation. Carter actually came on the show. I said, listen, rates probably may back off a little bit here. 88 and a half makes sense in the TLT. I didn't think it was going to happen by Friday. It actually traded 89 and change today. And this move off the lows in the S&P, listen, Tim has talked about it. Steve has talked about it as well. Didn't see this coming. With all that said, now's not the time to go racing into the things that I don't think that have rallied on the back of this. If you look at the internals, not great. And Goldilocks which I can't even believe I'm saying, mm. maybe, but it's not for the people that are losing their jobs. And they've revised down now eight months in a row in terms of these job numbers, which I don't think is particularly good. If the consumer is 73% of the economy, and if jobs are going away, that at some point has an impact. Well, I mean, I think that there are a couple of things here that people are maybe conflating, and that is the Fed may be done. And I think a lot of economists walked away and said, you know, put a fork in it. The, the rate hiking cycle is over after this past jobs report. That doesn't mean the impacts of what the Fed has done still won't come. So the market's rallying right on this notion that the Fed is done, but the effects are not done. So how do we So so a, co- a couple things there. So if the effects aren't done, then the Fed should be done. Right? So that's I, I could take right. that as a conclusion from there. So I had my wish list. I said rates would be lower, UAW would solve itself or or figure it out. Dollar would be lower, oil would be lower. We've gotten the whole wish list. So I think we're smooth sailing until year end. So I think you should be buyer. Every time we talk about strikes, I want to say Tommy used to work on the docks. He's been on strike. He's down on his luck. It's tough. 
but today's not the I day. I like how you so, hold yourself back. So, so let, let me talk a little bit about what, what I think uh, are some of the relationships between you've got rates, you've also had a relationship with the dollar and obviously with equities. A week ago today to the intraday high, we were up 6.5% on equities. Um, the move in the dollar to me is something that is part of the next ammunition for markets if they're going to go higher. Uh, breaking kind of 105.50 on the Dixie. The Dixie's, Dixie's given up 2.5% over the last couple days. And, and, and frankly, again, that is, I think, sniffing out Fed policy. And, and I think that is part of at least where we are. Higher for longer is great, um, but today was really one of the first unambiguously weak job numbers. Now, it could be revised next month. There could be a lot of things going on. And again, I, I talk about the participation rate. But, but I, I, I look at where equities came into this period. And, and so really, not only are we in the best month of the year for equities, but, but really, where was sentiment? And where were we on the S&P? And where were we on some of the mega cap tech stocks? The, the takeaway for the week for me on, on equities is that RSP ETF or the equal weighted S&P, however you're following this, outperformed the S&P. And, and, and it does that after consolidations, but it also does that when there's uh, some sense that the broader environment for equities is good. And we'll talk about the places to see that breakdown. Yeah. And as a corollary, small caps did very well, Julie Beal. And that's music to yours. I mean, has, has the environment really changed in the past week or so for small caps or that trade? No, I think it's it's really just change for investors and their willingness to to spread out their risk appetite towards small caps. And I you know, I think everyone feels like, look, if if rates are going to come down and now, you know, the futures market are pricing a rate cut in May, which I think feels very optimistic to me. People are assuming, you know, small caps which have more leverage should do better. I still think you need to be incredibly choosy because what's driving that softness is weaker employment and, you know, not all small caps are going to survive weaker employment very well. You really have to be choosy, Goldilocks or not. Yeah, I think the other thing that we learned this week is that we don't need Apple to be solid in order for this market to go higher. I think that was always, that was the concern, right, going into this week, that Apple was going to whiff, we're going to bad guys. That's what we got. And yet here we are. Which is encouraging, no question about it. I mean, it went from 165, where did we get up to? 178 or so. We closed today, 174. Yeah, so to your point, Apple didn't perform today on what was obviously a good tape. But that's a good sign for the broader market as well. I mean, I guess the question is, right, when is bad news going to be bad news? Because it's clearly deteriorating. The ISM numbers have been a disaster. Manufacturing that good. Listen to what Maersk said. They're, they right. laid off, again, 10,000 people over the next six months, 6,500, another 3,500. And they said, I, I'm paraphrasing now, but they see dire things in 2024. I mean, that's one of the biggest shipping companies in the world, if not the biggest. And they don't think things are particularly rosy. So at some point, bad news is bad well, news. One, one thing on the way you opened the show, you said, should we be a buyer of this rate volatility? or the way the rates have come off. So the pushback is, should we have been a seller of the rate spiking? So we should have been a seller of the rate spiking. Therefore, we should be a buyer of the rates falling. So does everybody think that the 10 years going to 4% now? I mean, no, I think I that we should. I, I agree. I actually, I actually I agree with the way Guy opened up the show. I think that we saw these spikes, and you, you, you're probably going to level off somewhere between 5 and where we bottomed out, 45 or so, in the 10-year. And I think the market can handle that. 
Well, it, the ISM 51.8, I mean, you're, you're not terribly far away from contraction to the services part of the economy that we all know is the U.S. economy. So um, I, the bad news isn't good news, um, ultimately, but for a market that is looking for the strength and the rally, and, and I'm, uh, I'm just going with at least the market we have in front of us in terms of a market that was the anxiety where we were one week ago today based upon uh, a 10-year. We were, we were 496, and in that time, and really even in, in three days since we got the refunding announcement and the Fed meeting on Wednesday, we, you know, we were 494, 495 that morning. We got as low as 448 today. Um, that, that, that's extraordinary by any measure. I don't think we're going straight lower on yields, and, and I do think that there's going to be some mixed data ahead. Remember, we came out of the, the, this last quarter. I, I know GDP is very backward looking, but I don't think the U.S. economy is falling out of bed. I, I think equities, uh, as we've gotten through earnings season, let's be clear, the, the, the numbers haven't been terrible. Uh, and, and if you think about where we are in terms of expectations on EPS going into you know, this, this fourth quarter, I, I don't think things are so high here if you think about it. I don't think stocks are cheap, but I think there's an enough backdrop here with the dollar weakening up and with yields having given some ground and the right. feds out of the way why can't we continue to take this a little higher yeah and, and there's there's nothing to say that you can't rally into your end and then still believe that a recession is coming in 2024 and things will go south right. then julie yeah, I completely agree. I think it's absolutely possible for us to kind of continue melting up, people feeling more enthusiastic about the, you know, finding this Goldilocks, happy landing, whatever it is we're saying. It makes sense to me that the, 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 the investor rationale around that, right? Because there was so much pressure on markets, you know, in the third quarter. So I, that makes sense to me. But I think the longer term outlook to me looks pretty cloudy. And I would be concerned being overly aggressive on things like cyclicals when, you know, clearly if you listen to the transports, they're not in good shape. You listen to certain retailers, they're not in good shape. And this market doesn't have a lot of conviction because if you're paying attention to individual stocks on earnings, if they miss a little bit, if their guidance is a little bit weak, the stocks are down 10, 20, 30% in a single day. To me, that tells us that we don't have a lot of conviction in this market. Yeah, it'll be key when we start getting the retail earnings. That'll be an interesting read on the consumer in terms of trends extending into the month of October and, and early November, um, Guy. But we started the show off highlighting some of the big moves that we've seen on the week yeah. in sectors. So regional banks. Mm -hmm. Would you buy? If we have a rally into year end, are these still the sectors that you want to be in? So if we have a rally into year end. Regional banks should outperform. Yeah. I, I think that's true, especially because that would assume there's an, there's no bad news on the margins in terms of the banks. So yeah, they'll probably outperform. I just don't think that's going to happen. And got, and quite frankly, this bond move we're seeing now you have a Mohammed Al Arian tweeting about bond volatility. You know somebody's going to get chopped up in this as well, and it's probably going to come down on regional banks at some point. I, I think about. Staples, I think about utilities, also are doing better and do, I should say, will do better, always do better in a lower rate environment. And they were so oversold. And I think on some level, they also mark some of the bottoms here for the market. And I think they can continue to play. I think healthcare is going to work. We may talk about that in a little bit. Emerging markets this week outperformed the S&P. You talk about a world where, again, the dollar's a little bit weaker, rates are a little more benign, the Fed's less aggressive. And parts of the world not necessarily have to be China, even though no, you're investing in the EEM, that 40% of that's China. But, but there, there is a global story out there. I, I would make an argument that there's definitely an international story uh, that's investable. And I think that was this week part of what worked. I would go, well, first of all, you're going to see that whiplash effect when you look at the Russell 2000. So people are going to chase for beta. But the Russell 2000, 40% of those companies are unprofitable. So they'll, they'll chase them for a week or so. 
And then they're going to go right back into the MAG-7. Unfortunately for the marketplace, you're not going to get that broadening base of things rallying. For more on where rates could go from here and a bonus look at Apple after earnings, let's mm. bring in the chart master, Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, um, what did we accomplish with this move in rates this week in terms of the long-term yeah. trend? Sure. Well, quite a week. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, just speaking quickly about the uh, the strength in the market, it's there's strength that's benign and there's strength that's special. Clearly, this is special. It's an aggressive six plus percent in about six sessions. But is it too aggressive or said differently, is it impulsive, rash, impetuous, knee-jerk? It has that feeling. I think Julie was referring to some of those words in a, in a more elegant way. Uh, but, you know, uh, as 1 p.m. today, a big, large infrastructure REIT PM said to me, recession assured by the S&P. And he was being facetious, of course. But rates, let's look at some charts. Um, the, the, the drop in yield from 5% to 4.5%, that channel, which is very clear, it's six months in duration, rates go from 3.5 to 5, and now they've dipped back to the lower band of the channel. Uh, do we stop here? I don't think so. Uh, second chart, there is an unfilled gap. We came back from Labor Day. Uh, bonds sank on the 5th. It was Tuesday, the 5th of September. And we left an unfilled gap at 4.2. Uh, I think rates are going there. And the question, of course, is that mean stocks go even higher? Uh, I'm in the camp. Ultimately, the stocks go lower as well as rates. Stocks uh, go we lower want to look as at well Apple, as rates. And that's what you said. Yep, that's okay. what you said prior to this week's move. And yet we right. had rates go lower and stocks go higher stocks so why higher. do you think so, why do you think it sure. recorrelates right so there there if it was it's like an if then statement geometry seems to me if every time rates um went down stocks went up then it would be easy to make money in the stock market it doesn't work like that um and so what we know is the dollar is rolling oil has rolled all things that weren't supposed to happen and now rates are rolling and ultimately i think stocks join the party uh, but we should okay. see. 4.2% is where you see the 10-year yield going. Stocks go lower along with it. And how about Apple? Because you, you came on our show, you said sell Apple, which is very unpopular. And then before the earnings dropped yesterday afternoon, you also said sell Apple. You went in there and you, you reiterated that call. Um, where are we now on this? Yeah, it didn't really do much, so I'm not sure that was a valuable call. But uh, let's look at a couple charts. The first are, are, well, it's just there's Apple. It's a pair of twos. It's working its way into these converging trend lines, uh, does it break out from that formation? Does it break down? It's really what a pair of twos is. But it's really more importantly about its relative performance, it's a bad pick. Let's look at three relative charts. The first, a relative chart is just a ratio chart. It's one thing divided by another, which reveals how the, the, the numerator is doing relative to the denominator. Apple's chart, its relative chart to the tech sector, the XLK you see right there, is terrible. Uh, let's look at it relative to Microsoft. It's terrible. Uh, let's look at it relative to Amazon. Uh, same thing. If those were individual securities, you'd say, well, what is that stock there? It's rolling over. Well, it is rolling over. Apple's relative performance, the market peaked uh, more than a year ago. It has been a bad pick. All right. So you stick by yourself. Yep. Yeah. All right. Carter, good to see you. Thank you. Likewise. Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting. Show of hands. Mm-hmm. Who agrees with Carter? That it's a sell. Apple is a sell right here, right now. Raise your hand, please. Well, yeah, I think you can go to 162. All right, Guy and Tim. 
Tim? Yeah, I mean, look at the top of the, again, if I'm Carter, and I couldn't even walk half a footstep in his shoes, but, you know, 176, 177 was the top end of that upper channel. Um, I, I, I don't like the price action. I guess more importantly, though, I just don't like the, the, the need to jump into Apple here. Uh, and based upon the trends, some of that guide, uh, the consumer that is yet to really weaken, uh, I don't, I'm going to get, get Apple lower. Yeah, Julie? Yeah, I think it doesn't make sense to be adding aggressively here. I think you can be a long-term holder on Apple as a core holding, but I agree. I think they have near-term headwinds that are probably going to be pretty difficult. We still don't understand exactly what's going on in China for this business, and I think that is the key to understanding the longer-term outlook. Apple's up 37% year-to-date. Apple shook off that post-market sell-off yesterday. Mm -hmm. So I, I agree with Julie. You don't have to be aggressively buying it, but you could hold Apple. But if you're a believer in the Mag 7, which it sounds like you are going into mm -hmm. your end, is this, is this the, the top performer? I mean, because it's lagging relative to its Mag 7 peers, is this the one to be in? I think it's a safe bet to be in Apple. And for, I would hold it until it breaks the 200-day moving average, which is 171 and a half, let's call it. I, I think you're safe to be in a safe bet for the market. I think one of the things we could be seeing is not something that's going to happen overnight. But I, I, I think the, the, the weighting of those seven stocks uh, as, you know, 25 to 30 percent of the S&P, wherever we've peaked, have we peaked? I think we've peaked. Uh, I don't think we're going to see that again. I, I, I think. And that's why the equal weighted S&P and the move it's had is both, I think, a function of market technicals uh, and some change in passive versus equal weighted. Um, and, and I just think it's something we should all be watching. This isn't going to happen overnight, but that's a trend. And the trend is Apple's, I think, best days are behind it. Wow. And the Magnificent Seven's best days sure. are behind it. For sure. Peak Mag 7. Did you ever see that movie? Seriously, be honest, Friday, Magnificent 7, 1960. No. I think it was 1960. You know, Great song by The Clash, too. I know you love The Clash. I, the Clash is one of the most overrated bands of all the, time. The, you the, should the, go to, by, I, I know, quite, go yeah. to Blockbuster and rent it this for is, the weekend. So, so I'll, just I'll a, get the beta. Just a re, really quick. So the only problem I have with that, I agree with everything Tim said, but the problem is the, the dynamics have changed. We're in a passive investing world now. So I don't know what changes to make that dynamic change. Coming up, gold mining stocks surging today, far outpacing the broader market, but the group is only flat for the year. Is it time to play catch up? We'll go mining for answers. Mm -hmm. Plus, you can bet it was a great day for DraftKings, and one of our traders is wagering the company might have just put out its best earnings report ever. Fast Money's back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Miners continuing to melt up in today's session. The GDX Gold Miners ETF gaining more than 4% to finish the week in the green, notching its third straight day of gains. The underlying commodity settling just shy of $2,000 in today's session. Gold now up more than 8% in just the last month. Tim, you are just saying today, silver and gold. Love silver and gold, even before Burl Ives mm. will start singing to Guy around Christmas. And, and, and I think gold, gold and more gold in an environment with fall, falling rates, a falling dollar, slower growth, inflation under control. This is the environment. I also, Guy talks all the time, and I'll let him talk about, you know, why the central bank setup for gold is important. What the miners are not doing is keeping pace with the move in gold. And, and if you look, and this is where Carter talks about these ratio charts, this is a great thing to do. Look at the relationship between gold, the metal, and the GDX, which is the gold miners ETF. And you can see, uh, I think gold miners have lagged. I think there's different reasons for it. Sometimes, obviously, in, in a higher risk, higher volatility market, miners, resource stocks don't trade too well, right? So on some level, gold stocks are higher risk. Um, but the move up in gold is goes straight to the bottom line for a handful of these guys. Goldfields has been outperforming in South, in South Africa. Barrick, Newmont, you know, these are some of your big dogs. It's interesting. And Tim, I think what happens with the miners, people say, I don't believe the price of gold. I'm not getting, I'm not going to get sucked into the miners until they start believing the price of gold. Then it starts to play catch up. So given where gold is and it's going, in my opinion, the GDX, which closed 29 and a half, should be trading 36 minimum. And then we can have a conversation. And I think this gold move, listen, gold was higher in the wake of yields going higher. Yields are going lower. The dollar's coming off. Gold should move in this environment. So I'm with Tim on the GDX. What is the central bank set up here? Oh, my God. They've been, last year was a record amount of gold. This mm-hmm. year, just as amount, the same amount, basically, over the last two years. It has not manifested in itself in the price. They are not the sellers of last resort. They are continuing to hoard it. And again, when investment funds and eat in hedge funds get into this and they're going to try to get into it sideways, the market's not big enough to take any amount of dollars that I think are going to flood into the market. Julie? I, you know, I don't have anything wise to say about commodity markets. We avoid them like the play because it's just too difficult to predict the movements. And, you know, any of the resource plays, it, they're really capital intensive and cyclical. So for long term investors, it's a no. But I think the, the technicals are pretty compelling. I agree. So I, I don't understand the uh, the underperformance of the of the GDX. I don't I don't understand the underperformance of the miners. Usually it's three to one in their favor. It's obviously the reverse now. But when you look at the geopolitical around the world, yes, to Guy's point, a lot of central banks are buying. But if you look at the area, specifically Russia, they've been selling because they haven't had access to money. So gold could move even higher if they decide to take their foot off the, uh, off the uh, gas in there in that area. Uh, There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. The heavyweights of weight loss battle it out for a spot in your portfolio. A top money manager reveals her top obesity drug stock and why the two industry kingpins aren't equal. But first, someone on the desk is calling it one of the best earnings reports ever. Stay tuned to find out why they're wagering on even more gains ahead for a top betting stock. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. 
ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of DraftKings topping the tape after posting an earnings beat after the bell yesterday. The stock jumping 16% for its best day since last November. DraftKings had revenues uh, increased by 57% from a year ago, and it expanded its customer base by 40%. Tim, you are the one who said this may be the best earnings report yeah, out and, there. And I have no position. And at one point, I did have a position. And I tell you, I felt like I got a gift on the move back over 30, traded that out of it maybe six to eight weeks ago. Um, but here's what I love about these numbers. The numbers really are, first of all, they, they are continuing to build a moat around their business. They are in, in the pole position uh, in the online sports betting world. No matter what, and this is why I always was a fan of this space, and I invest in other sectors that kind of have this story, um, top line addressable market growth. We know what's going on with gambling in our country, whether you like it or not. Um, we also know that these companies were beating each other up uh, and spending everything they could to get market share. Well, we've seen rationalization. The fact that they're talking about profitability and where they're talking about it, and I think the street's going to come through. I'm looking at a J.P. Morgan report. They have them at $1.25 billion in EBITDA by 26, uh, and they have them at a 7% free cash flow yield by 26. Now, I realize that's a long time away. Uh, I'm less worried about the consumer uh, here on some level in a recession and what they're going to be spending, but who knows? Um, bottom line is the industry fundamentals are starting to look really interesting here. And this company, those were their best numbers. Yeah, and, and even as the competition is really increasing, I mean, Penn is trying to, yep. right, Penn has ESPN bet now, so they're trying to ramp up in this area. This is the fourth straight quarter of market share gains for, for DraftKings, Steve. Yeah, if you pull back, if you pull back the chart on DraftKings, this stock was more than double the price a couple of years ago. So I think people have to digest this a spike, if you will, in the in the technicals and absorb it because it was moving sideways for a pretty good amount of time. So I think you're going to see some reversion on the stock chart and the stock price. So I would wait here. I don't think you have to necessarily run in, but I'd rather make the bet on MGM and go Vegas versus go to a DraftKings. Even if you think there's a hell of a lot of growth left in the in the in the uh, machine, I know what he just I would did. wait. I know yeah. what he just you know, did. You, you heard it. I know what he just did. I kept talking through it. I kept talking through it. Still there. Me. Sorry. Um, but I'll Sorry. pose that question to Julie because I, I think it's an interesting question. Uh, because MGM, <laughs> you do get the Vegas. Maybe you don't want the Vegas. Maybe if you're a believer that there's a recession coming, you don't want that kind of exposure because you can sit on your couch and bet on DraftKings for a lot less money than going to Vegas. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that, honestly. I think their opportunity set is so large. And what's really compelling about their earnings report is that their incremental profitability as states kind of grow on their platform, they're becoming more profitable more quickly. And that only you only get better and better, and that only widens your mode over time. So I think just from a pure fundamental standpoint and the level of execution that they're showing, they are investing in the right places, and that's already starting to prove itself out very, very quickly. I like that better from an execution standpoint than depending on people getting on a plane and braving the smell of the cab as you go mm. to the casinos in Vegas. Whoa, it's not whoa, my favorite. Whoa. Yeah. Huh. Sounds like a, Do you have a bad experience, nice. no, Julie? Bad experience, bad first, first-hand experience. <laughs> 
They smell awful. What, what are we talking about? <laughs> taxi cabs in Las Vegas. Wow. So oh. You're a taxi cab driver in Las Vegas. We apologize in advance. They're some of our biggest um, viewers. I'm sure. <laughs> they Why were watching. No, 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 not, no, not the drivers. Not the drivers. It's just like think of like the who people that they're picking up in Vegas, right? The back right. seat is what smells, not the front what seat. Happens? The front seat's great. The Ooh. back seat is the well, problem. I mean, Got it. Going on okay. Friday night. I have no um, idea. Buzzkill meantime. It's the family show. Let's keep it clean here. <laughs> Fortinet shares dropping as much as 23% at its lows and hitting its lowest in a year. This after warning of a slowdown in consumer spend in the current quarter, the stock ending the day down by 12%. This is a terrible report, Guy. Terrible report, and I'm just looking. I mean, $50, I think, do we close at 50? Yeah, Roy Crow's right here. I mean, this was a low back in 2022. So in terms of support, it's got to hold. I guess the good news is... Traded six times normal volume, about 38 million shares. So maybe it flushed a lot of people out. But this is a bit of a tell on the consumer. Again, one by one, you start anecdotally putting these things together. It's not particularly good. But specifically, holds 50 bucks, maybe it's worth a look. Yeah, one um, analyst out there, BTIG, said that at least, you know, the, the company didn't just blame macro. Uh, on this miss in the Q4 guide. They actually took some responsibility and they found some comfort in that. Well, it, the, yes, um, but it, it, it definitely, I think this is more of a, less of a tell on, on the consumer than it's a tell on enterprise and, enterprise and software and, and dynamics, at least around the things and networking solutions. And, and so, you know, I don't know. It, it's, it's been that kind of a stock that, that they don't take the escalator down, they take the elevator down. We've seen it happen a couple of times and, and there's certainly no reason to jump in there tomorrow. It's about their product mix, right? So 70% of their business is not growing the way that they thought it would be growing. So now they have to increase the other two product mixes, which are 20 and 10% of their business. It's going to take some time. I think you have to wait until they prove themselves before you put money to work. All right. Coming up, the weight loss drug makers have been on a tear this year, but one top money manager says one name might have gone a little ahead of itself. Her pick in the space coming up. Plus, our chart of the week, we pull back on the curtain. Pull back the curtain, excuse me, on a very pesky disconnect in the energy space. How to play that next. More Fast Money in Two. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was the best week of the year for stocks. The tech-heavy Nasdaq leading the gains, jumping almost 7% since Monday. The S&P up almost 6% and the Dow soaring 5%. All three closing back above their 50-day moving averages. One of the big winners today, Paramount Global. That stock up more than 15% today. It's second straight day of double-digit gains. Today's move coming after a strong earnings report last night, the day before it was on the back of Roku's results. And take a look at shares of Walmart hitting a record high today, back to its NYSE debut back in 1972 before dropping late in the day. Investors betting the discount retailer will attract value-hungry shoppers this holiday season. Walmart earnings less than two weeks away. Meantime, shares of drug maker Novo Nordisk skipping today's market rally down nearly 2% after a big post-earnings gain yesterday. But today's weakness isn't discouraging one top money manager. She lists Novo Nordisk as a top pick. Elizabeth Evans, Lizzie Evans, is managing partner at Evans May Wealth. Forbes rates Lizzie as one of the top wealth managers in Indiana. She's here on set in town. Lizzie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Melissa. How long have you been in Novo? We've been in Novo for quite some time. So um, we, they, we had a great report yesterday, year-over-year year revenue growth, 38%, year-over-year year profit growth, 58%. Um, it's trading close to its 52-week high. We had a nice little pullback today, but I, think, I still think there's a lot of opportunity there. 
How do you think about that opportunity and what is already priced into the stock? Yeah, so if you look at the total uh, Novo and how much it's penetrated the total addressable market, um, obesity across the world as measured by BMI north of 30, there's 800 million people that Novo's um, Bogovi drug could potentially benefit. They, today, if you look at pharma companies, they're only serving one to two million patients. So I think that, the enorm- that there's an enormous amount of opportunity here. What I thought was interesting, too, is that the CFO was talking about the select trial data and how they might see expedited, expanded use FDA approval within the next six months. But we saw that huge pop on the select trial data. So I guess that gets to what I was asking you. What is priced in? Because we see these pops on incremental data points as opposed to when the FDA actually grants approval for something and there's actually a market there. Yeah, it's a great question. So Goldman estimates that by 2030, it could be a $100 billion industry and that Novo and Lilly will have 80% of the market share. So it's trading at, you know, close to 40 times forward PE. That's that's always the debate. Valuation, it's half of the valuation of Lilly, twice as profitable. And if you look at the debt to equity, debt to equity is 21.5% versus Lilly at 164. So... Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say congratulations. And you're right in terms of valuation. Steve has brought this up, Tim, as well. At a certain point, is there an opportunity to say I've I've cashed my chips in Novo and moving to like an Amgen or other companies that might have more diverse product mix and get the kicker of everything Novo has and Lilly has right now? Yeah, I think that I think we're still really early stages. So you you made a great point last night. And talking about Lily, mm. and that there, there's. I'm surprised. Stop the phone. Unbelievable. Wait a second. Hold on. You made a great point. I mean, Cab drivers in Vegas and Lizzie. Unbelievable. Sorry, I'm sorry about that. But you know that that there's opportunities for these stocks. And by the way, we own Lily as well. But to have pullbacks and then they go on and continue to set new 52-week highs. So I think that that is very much a real possibility. Lizzie, how about the insurance dynamic, and and to what extent we've seen, and for Lily, it's been, and certainly for. Novo. It's been a a function of coverage actually increasing and the ASPs going higher. Um, How much of that is really critical to your view? Because ultimately, there are those that say insurance companies are going to have a problem. This is an issue and it's going to be something that people can't afford. Those that need it for the right reasons, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think so. Right now, um, with Wagovi, 80% of um, patients are covered by health insurance. So I think the average person's paying 25 bucks a month versus the 1350. Um, we're also starting see, to see some additional benefits. So cardiovascular disease, it, it's being shown to reduce that by 20%. You have uh, chronic kidney dis- chronic kidney disease. And they stopped the trial early there because there is so much success. So I think that from an insurance standpoint, as you have more and more residual benefits, it's going to be harder and harder for these insurance companies not to cover it. And it it very well may be a better mousetrap. If you're a big believer in this stock and in this class of drugs, then by, you know, extension, do you have doubts about snack food companies? Do you have, I mean, all the trades that we sort of saw play out in the markets where there was concern that it would hit the, the makers of the sleep apnea devices, of the, yeah. of the insulin devices, all these different sort of trades. Are you in that side of it? 
So it's interesting because it's it's going to totally transform our society, and it already is, and we're starting to see that in earnings. So I think that um, we are less focused on, uh, we're looking at the individual company and looking at the merits of that individual company, um, but I think that, Melissa, it's a great point, and it's a real risk to, to, people are less hungry, they're eating less, so you know, what does that mean long-term for our society over the next 20, 30, 50 years? I think it's a big deal. Lizzie, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you. Again, she's in town from Indiana, so maybe spending part of the weekend with, I mean, that's crazy, right? Indiana's beautiful. It's marathon. Yes, it's marathon great. weekend, too. So, oh, that's right. You know, there's a lot going in on. In Indiana? Big, in here. In New York City. In New York City. <laughs> New York City. <laughs> Thanks, Mel. I thought you were right. serious. Thank you. Thank you. Come by again. <laughs> um, Julie Beal, what do you, uh, you think that this is expensive still? It's, it's, I mean, it's expensive, but it's expensive for good reason, right? And if I have a choice of an expensive stock that has a lot of quality, I'm going to choose that over something that's, you know, cheap and cheerful, but not really a good business. And, you know, I think that their positioning is very, very strong. It feels like every single week there's a new indication that this works really well for and the trial data is very strong. So, you know, I think it's a very easy case to make for, the, for this one. It's just expensive. So I think you want to be thoughtful about, you know, your position sizing and, and how you want to think about that. Lizzie owns both Novo and Lilly, but she did sort of do a would you rather mm. in terms of comparing the valuation, saying Novo is a much better value because the valuation is half and it's more profitable. Would you agree with that? Well, would I, would agree, I would agree on the valuation. I would agree on all the things she said. But given that choice of would you rather, I'm playing the game correctly, yes. mm. Eli Lilly. Huh. Yeah, how about you? Well, see, I, I heard it a different way. I heard a would you rather rather. Oh. And I heard I, guys, I heard guy bring up an Amgen. No, I heard guy bring up an Amgen. And when you look at Amgen, Amgen is probably the cheapest of all. And if you look at the year to date, it's only up 3%. Lily's up 55%. Novo is up 45%. I think you're going to have a huge kicker going into the next six months for Amgen. As someone that's been investing in a different part of the healthcare space, um, I, you know, I clearly think that I've missed the boat on this. I, I think it's priced to perfection, and I wish uh, I, I didn't think that. Uh, but I, I do think the dynamics here are still very unclear. But the good news here is that they've got all these pipelines attached somewhere around the periphery of these agents that are different, small, nuanced versions of what these drugs can do uh, within the not only weight loss, but in terms of muscle mass and in terms of other dynamics. I think those are going to be really profitable. All right. Coming up, Mind the Gap. We'll find out why crude oil and this oil services sector seem to be on two different tracks. It's our chart of the week. And later, Disney on deck to report quarterly results next week. We'll find out what the options market is expecting from the entertainment giant. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's time to reveal our chart of the week. Check out the divergence between crude oil prices and the oil services stocks this week. While the underlying commodity was down 5%, the stocks were notably higher. It's a continuation of a trend that has been in place for quite some time. So what's with this disconnect? Who has an answer? I'll, I'll oh, venture I'll Thank venture a guess as someone that, that owns Schlumberger and thinks it's going higher. I, I think you have a combination of people aren't trusting the, the rally. There's a dynamic around the, the economy that people actually, sometimes they price into the commodity, 
they often price it into the stocks. Um, there's been a lot of M&A in the sector. I think people are very concerned about how the next dollar is going to be allocated. Uh, when I look at the drillers and I look at some of the uh, some of the offshore discoveries, all we do is talk about Guyana. All we talk about is this growth for the sector and a few really choice assets. There's a lot of drilling out there. This company hasn't been this profitable in a couple of years, and it's going to get more profitable. So I think it's an opportunity. And I look at Chevron and I look at, uh, again, that move down from the 180s into the 140s for a company that in that time has decided they're going to raise their dividend, they're going to become more free cash flow generative, and they bought into Guyana. I like Chevron, too. Yeah, but when you look at the oil services, that's different than the multinationals, the large integrated names, right? So the large integrated names have traded straight down. So they, they, they're correlated. They're not inversely correlated. But when you look at the Saudis, Saudis are responsible for about 9 million barrels per day of OPEC output. They said they, they were going to cut back till year end. Now there's some chatter that they're actually going to uh, increase production. So you could see oil come down in price. It's interesting. I think the oil service, the sector is like the gold. Like a lot of investors mm. don't believe the commodity until they do. I think oil can trade sideways here for the next six months. And if the market is benign, these stocks can go higher just on valuation alone and the fact that they're more efficient, better companies. So I'm with Tim on this one for sure. Coming up, the options market seems to be expecting more magic out of Disney. The company on deck to report earnings next week. Can it live up to expectations or will recent deals leave it looking a little goofy? We'll tackle that. And here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is chatting exclusively with the CEO of the utility giant AEP. Catch the full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Meantime, more Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a trade update for you. Steve Grasso here sold Tesla. So this is a pretty quick trade for you, Steve. Yeah, it was a three-day turnaround. It was under the pressure that Tesla's been under. You saw the sell-off. You saw Elon Musk say that rates were definitely a headwind, a substantial headwind to his business, along with other growth areas uh, inside the market. This one ticked below $200. I bought it. I wound up selling it up 10% in three days. I had to lock in that profit. It wasn't any more thinking that that was a quick turnaround, a true fast money trade. Would you get back into it? I would. I'd, I'd like to see it hold this level. Let's call it 212 for a little bit. And then I, I think the door opens up to about 240 to the upside if rates stay lower. So this one definitely hinges on what the rate dynamic and backdrop looks like. If the markets rally into year end, shouldn't Tesla rally into year end? I don't know. We, we, here I was saying equal weighted S&P is outperforming and maybe this is kind of the state. Tesla will rally. If, if, if the market's rallying to your end, Tesla's going to go higher. I don't think there's any question about that, both beta-wise, risk-wise. Um, but I do think it's possible some of the big cap tech stocks can underperform. Meantime, earnings season is far from over with a handful of heavyweights set to report next week. Disney hoping for some earnings magic to pull the stock out of its slump when it posts results on Wednesday. Earlier this week, the entertainment giant announced plans to buy the remaining 33% stake in Hulu from CNBC's parent company Comcast and an $8.6 billion deal. Um, Tim, you like Disney and I'm just, you know, and you own Disney and I'm wondering what you're looking for because Paramount Global seemed to put the bar up yeah. on so did Netflix with his earlier comments. That was nice stuff out of here. Paramount in terms mm -hmm. of DTC. Yeah. Um, they also talked about higher content costs, though. And, and you know, I think you know, Disney's, uh, I don't think, going to talk about that. And if anything, Disney's a bit of a cost-cutting story. I, I think there's been some tailwind. It, it was clearly a decent and a better quarter for the streamers. Look at Netflix, by the way, that's up 25% since reporting those great numbers, holding it and trading higher. Um, tells you that 
said, I think they're still the top dog. Uh, don't own Netflix. Wish I did. Owned it. Sold it. Expected to get it cheaper. I think we still will. Disney, I, I go back to the streaming is given to you for free when you own the parks company here. Yeah, so I, I, mean, I like that. The move over the past two days in Paramount specifically, Julie, has been we highlighted, uh, you know, when our when we were discussing the markets overall. But on the back of Roku's report, I mean, it really gained double digits. And then again today, um, where are you on the streamers? You know, I think generally speaking, the best thing that happened to them was the writer's strike. It it allowed them to kind of rationalize and think about what they want to spend and where their returns are. I do think that Disney is pretty challenged looking at it right now here because across all of their businesses, it's a real struggle, right? You know, linear is a problem. Sports is probably softer. And so I think expectations are pretty high for a turnaround. But again, we've talked about this numerous times. It's very, very hard to turn around your business just by cutting costs. You really do have to be able to drive the top line. And, you know, I'm a little concerned about that. The streamers in general, you know, I think a lot of them are starting to get religion in terms of their cost structures, but it's still not clear to me how economic their business models really are, given the content costs. Guy, Disney, that chart is not good. No, it's not. And every rally has been sold now for the last year and a half. And we've bounced to 85. We were close, about 85 or so. 85. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you've seen what we've seen is a knee jerk reaction actually higher post earnings, only to give it back some and more. And I think you're going to see it again on November 8th. Meantime, options traders, they are feeling bullish ahead of Disney's report. Mike Coe has the action. Mike? Yeah, we saw well over two times the average daily call volume. Right now, the options market is implying a move of over 6% after they report earnings next week. Uh, One of the reasons we saw such exceptional call volume was purchases of the November 95-100 call spread. We saw over 5,000 of those trade on a single print, paying about 34 cents for those. And ultimately, over 11,000 of each of those contracts traded by the end of the day. The buyer of those call spreads obviously betting that the stock has the room to pop after earnings before November expiration, which incidentally is going to be two weeks from today. And we did see other situations like Warner Brothers, for example, where a very depressed stock did catch a bounce off of earnings, even if the fundamental picture still looks a little grim. Tim, is China going to be an issue for Disney? Is it big enough as a part of their revenue? That's interesting. Boy, we don't need China pressures on on top of Disney in terms of theme parks and whatnot. I, I don't I don't think this is what we're going to say. I will say that the theme park business has been so strong and such a major part of at least the strength of the EBITDA profile. But um, not expecting to hear that, that would knock the stock down. Yeah. Mike, your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when you take a look at the at these uh, names, because Disney, you know, depending on who you compare it to, if you compare it to Netflix, it looks exceptionally cheap. And if you compare it to names like Warner Brothers and Paramount, it looks looks quite expensive. I mean, the parks business, I think, is what I worry about most because we do see signs that there are cracks in the consumer. We see rising credit card balances and auto defaults and things like that. And I have a feeling that discretionary spending in that area is one of the areas that we, we might be concerned about looking ahead. All right, Mike, thanks. Have a good weekend. Mike Co. up next, Final Trades. <laughs> Final trade time, Julie Beal. You know, the home builders always give me a little bit of heartburn, but Simpson SSD gives you structural support for the home builders, so you don't have ge- you don't have to get the geographic right. Tim. Shout out to big fast money fan Audrey watching at home. EWZ, Brazil. I, you look at this weaker dollar, I think EM has some move to run. Hello, Audrey. Hi, Audrey. <laughs> West Rock, it's traded up in a hurry in the last week. I expect it to go much higher in the future. 
What's tomorrow, Mel? What's tomorrow, Saturday. Mel? Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, Melissa Lee. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. 32. 3-2. Uh, 3-2 again. Our big toe, Sergeant Holka. Uh, Agnico Eagle Mines. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. That that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com.